choirs participating, but we also have children leading us in different parts of the service. And so it's always lively and always uh, energetic and always fun. So welcome on Children's Sunday today. We do want to remind you that it's Communion Sunday today, the first Sunday of the month. So we do have Communion Sunday, and uh, for the first time in two years, you did not pick up little packets of goldfish or um, (laughs) grape juice. Gee, how do you feel about that? Um, it is uh, delighted. We're delighted we have communion again this Sunday. We are going back to, as you can see, the, uh, there are trays up there in the bread. Our elders will be passing that out as part of our communion service. So um, we hope everybody feels comfortable about that. If you don't, then you can just let it slide on by you, of course. Um, I was speaking to an Episcopalian friend uh, last night who said their church uh, down in Midtown, they are back to drinking from the common cup together. For communion, so if uh, the trays make you a little uncomfortable, then wow, good thing you're not at an Episcopal church this morning. But God bless them, and may God bless all of us in our communion today. Friends, I may remind you that uh, we keep reminding ourselves how we used to do communion uh, from the clergy, and so I just uh, invite you to remember that as the elders pass out the elements. There is gluten-free bread. The, the elder in this aisle will have gluten-free bread, and if you need gluten-free bread, just signal to that elder, and uh, he or she will be happy to bring you that gluten-free bread. And uh, it's our custom here as a sign of our unity in the body of Christ that we hold each element until all have been served, and the minister uh, serving communion will then invite you to partake of the bread together, and then a few minutes later to partake of the cup together. Please see your bulletin about very special announcements that are coming up. Of course, we have our youth auction that's coming up later tonight. We're delighted uh, that we're having our youth auction tonight. So many people have been working on that, and so many people have been working uh, to make that a very special occasion. I think there are tickets still on sale in the Narthex after the service. If you want to get a ticket, come on, because there's probably room for just a few more. A couple of save the dates for you. Save the date for um, March the 16th which is a compass meal, a four-week compass Wednesday evening meal and devotional study about the four last days of Jesus' life. So we'll have a meal at 5.30 and then a, a, a devotional that starts at 6. You can sign up for that uh, online on the church website or you can um, call the church office and they'd be happy to sign you up for that. Save the date for Nakomi. You may see these little flyers at the uh, different entry points of the church. Nakomi, April 29th through May the 1st. Pick up one of these little cards. There's a QR code by which you can register. We have about a month to register until the end of March. And so we're going to have a great Nakomi again this year with an intergenerational event for, for people of all ages in our church. So sign up for Nakomi, our church family camp. And then also... Save the date for the uh, Memphis Joy Prom on April the 29th. If you're not, for some reason, going to Nakomi, then sign up to volunteer at the Memphis Joy Prom, which is our our prom for persons with special needs at Christ Methodist. Sign up to volunteer and help for that. And then last but not least, save the date for the Mexico mission trip, June the 14th through 21st. We're trying to recruit, again, a wonderful group to go down to our friends in Castilla Brito, Mexico, as we build the 6,000-gallon cisterns together. And so that's going to be a wonderful, uh, a wonderful week, and you can learn more about that by talking to me 
or someone on our missions team, and please save the date for that trip. Out of breath. So now comes the really good part and the most important part, which is our time to worship God. God is good and worthy to be praised. Please stand us and join us in our call to worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We all sing the praises to the Lord. The Lord is good. Our God is merciful and just. Let us worship God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we offer our whole lives to worship 
us confess our sin and our need for God's mercy and grace. O God, you have created us in your image, and we are your people. You have made us to live in your love. You created us to serve you and one another in harmony. In our skin, we define your good purposes for us. At times, we are selfish and shameful. We hurt others and we disobey you. In your mercy, please forgive us. Help us to live like Jesus and show us how to be like him each day. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, God's mercy is strong and never ends. In Christ, we are a new creation. God's grace covers our sin, and we have forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As our children come forward, please greet one another with the peace of Christ. Friends, it's a very special day when we celebrate not just one sacrament, but two sacraments, and we come with joy to celebrate the sacrament of baptism this morning for Darby Keltner Kilpatrick, the daughter of Haley and Jordan Kilpatrick, and the younger sister of Stella. Stella was baptized almost two years ago today, we realized, and uh, right before the pandemic on March the 8th, 2020. So two years later, we come with joy and gratitude to baptize her little sister, Darby. We're grateful for the blessing of her life to her family. We're thankful in this service that one of our elders, Phil Russell, is taking part, and we thank, we're thankful to Charlotte Robinson also, 
who is our child participant. It is certainly a joy to welcome uh, other family members who are here. We know that you're celebrating also along with your extended family and our whole church family every time we come to baptize a child or an adult in our church family. We do come with the whole Christian church, the whole family of faith in Christ to claim Darby as part of the covenant of grace. That word sacrament, of course, has the word sacred in it, and what we do here is a sacred moment. We believe that the Holy Spirit is present with us, that the Holy Spirit is part of this family's life, part of this sacrament within and around the water and with the promises that we make, that God will use this earthly temporal element and God will accomplish something that has heavenly and eternal sacrifice significance in it. And so we always define a, a sacrament as an outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace. And the water of baptism symbolizes our washing and our cleansing from sin through the death of Christ on the cross. And we remember that Jesus himself was baptized, signifying his unity with humanity and his desire for humanity to be forgiven of all of our sin by God's grace. And so baptism is the beginning of a journey by which we grow closer and closer to Christ every day. In the church, we speak of God's promises to us in the terms of a covenant. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ to bear our loving and faithful God throughout our lives. This is the covenant of grace through which God forgives us of our sins and grants us eternal life. We gratefully respond to God's covenant of grace by living through God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Believing in God's promises and obeying the word of our Lord, we baptize those whom God has included in the covenant of grace and mercy. By water and by the Holy Spirit, this child Darby will be joined to the body of Christ and the family of God. We will all make promises on her behalf, and God is counting on us to keep our promises so that she will grow in faith and will love Christ in her life. Thank you. And now for Haley and Jordan, I have these questions by which you will reaffirm your own faith. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, acknowledging God the Father as your maker and creator, God the Son as your Savior and Lord, and God the Holy Spirit as your helper and guide? Do you? Do you promise by God's grace and help to provide a Christian home for Darby, and by your example, raise her in the faith of the gospel and in the fellowship of the Christian church, do you? Thank you. And now Charlotte will ask the vow of friendship for our children. The children and youth of the church will be Darby's Christian friends as she grows and matures with us. Together we will live as followers of Christ, and we will make promises to Darby as a growing disciple. Do we, the children and youth of the church, promise to love Darby as a Christian, to walk with her on the path of faith, to share our time in fellowship with her, to read the Bible with her, to talk about God with her, and to be her friend in Jesus Christ? If we, the children of the church, are willing to make this promise to Darby, please raise your hand. On behalf of the session, I ask the congregation to reaffirm its pledge to love, support, and teach to all in the church 
and in particular, Darby and the ways of Jesus Christ? Do you, as a congregation of God's people, promise to play your part in the Christian support of Darby by providing instruction in the gospel of God's love, the example of Christian character, and the strong support of the family of God in fellowship, prayer, and service? If you so promise, will you please stand? Let us pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, O God, bless the faith of this family and this church family. Set aside now this water from its common use, and may it be now part of something sacred that you are doing in Darby's life as you seal her with your love now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Darby Keltner, you are a child of the covenant of grace, and so I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen. You are witnesses that Darby Kilpatrick has been received into the family and household of God through baptism. She now shares with us in the priesthood of Christ. I call on you, the GPC congregation, to pray for Darby and her family and to care for her so that she may grow in Christian faith and life and continue to serve in Christ's service all her days. Let us pray. Lord God, as we celebrate your grace and work in Darby's life, we do lift her up to you now. We pray for her, O oh God, for her well-being, not only for today, but for many years to come. We pray, O oh God, that your wisdom would guide her as she grows and as she matures. We pray, O oh God, that you would guard her in all temptations and dangers and shepherd her through the trials of this life. Magnify her joy in good times, and may she come to know that her whole life exists under your loving eye. Lord, we lift up Haley and Jordan to you as parents. We pray that you would bless them in this role that you have given them. We pray, O oh God, that you'd give them wisdom and understanding and patience and grace as they raise Darby and Stella to be your followers. We pray, O oh God, that you would bless them and bless our congregation as we keep the vows that we have made to you on behalf of Darby. Keep us all in your care and in your grace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. In addition to wanting my glasses, I hope you'll want this gift that we give to you, Darby. It is a children's Bible, and we give this to you, Darby, knowing that your parents will read it to you, and they'll read it to Stella, and that you will grow to love the Lord of this Bible and to love the God behind this Bible. Even before you know about God, God has known you since the very beginning. So read the stories of this Bible and come to love the Lord of Scripture and the Lord who made you and who created you. Please remain seated as we sing our blessing for this family.
Let us pray. Dear God, as we turn to read from your holy word, we pray for your spirit to guide us. Help us to hear and understand your will for us. Bless these readings so that we may grow closer to you in our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is Psalms 91, 9-16. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most highest, the most high in your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels conquering you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I shall satisfy them and show them my salvation.
Our New Testament lesson is Romans 10, 9-13. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For no one, for one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It can be a little unnerving to stand up in front of a lot of people and speak from the lectern or the pulpit or anywhere. One of the reasons that ministers wear robes is so you won't see our knees shaking. We just cover it up. So what an amazing job all of our, not children, but young, young adults uh, are doing for, um, for us in leading worship this morning. I'm so grateful for them and their teachers and all that they are doing as they lead us in this time. There's sort of an age-old philosophical question that uh, has plagued humanity for centuries, if not millennia, and I know you know it. It's one that has stumped sages and just left people uh, befuddled and arguing, um, stymied against one another. It's the question, of course, this great philosophical question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which one came first? Of course, people get into these little debates. You can't have a chicken without having an egg first, of course, but you can't have an egg if you don't have a chicken. Which comes first? All sorts of philosophical conundrums filling up our space this morning. Here's another one. If a tree falls in a forest and there's nobody around to hear it, does it make any noise? Well, of course it does. You just can't prove it, right? I remember sitting in a philosophy class in college and having our professor argue back and forth on that one. Other great questions that have plagued humanity for a long, long time, such as, are zebras black with white stripes or are they white with black stripes? The hardest question is this. What is the hardest question that no one can answer? Because if you can provide an answer, then it's not the hardest question for which, okay. Um, Does a staircase go up or down? Is the opposite of opposite the same or is it opposite? It's getting pretty deep in here. Um, Deep in thought. Deep in thought, of course. But it's getting deep one way or another. Um, We need to have this little philosophical uh, mindset among us this morning because this New Testament lesson provides a kind of mystery. It actually provides a window into a, I don't know, theological or philosophical debate that has gone on for a long time within different Christian circles. Even different denominations will sort of emphasize one over the other, and I'll let you guess in a minute which one Presbyterians sort of lean into and gravitate toward. It's sort of a debate about which comes first. Not the chicken or the egg, but which comes first? 
believing in God intellectually or believing in God emotionally? With the head or with the heart? Which comes first? I think it's an important question. Believing in Christ. Does believing in Christ mean with your mind so that you can agree to certain principles and certain doctrine and dogma? Or do you believe first with your heart? Because you have fallen in love with a God who loves you first. Do you have to believe in Him before you love Him? Or can you love God and be a disciple and then start to believe with your mind? Our New Testament lesson opens up this conundrum for us by Paul's way of writing. He's writing in this sort of intertwining, interchanging way here in Romans 10 and opens up this debate for us. He says this, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. I want to unpack this a little bit for a few minutes and then tell you why it's relevant for a children's Sunday. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. So this confessional language, confess and profess, this is intellectual language about a decision. They are about what you believe in your mind, that you have made up your mind and you have professed your faith. You have professed it, you've reaffirmed it, you've affirmed what you believe in your mind, that Jesus is who he says he is. You've laid it out logically. You believe that the New Testament is true, that it is believable. You've read Jesus' teachings, you've applied them in your life, or you want to apply them in your life. And that believing in the gospel makes sense, right? So you have to believe before you love. Well, maybe. (laughs) Maybe the second half of that sentence is all about the heart, not the mind. It then says, and if you believe in your heart. Believing in your heart, of course, is different from believing in your mind. The heart is about emotion. And it's about love. The heart is about trust, even some trusting, even when trusting doesn't make sense. There's a great verse in 1 Peter where Peter writes, Although you have not seen him, meaning although you can't use your empirical senses to see Jesus and to know Jesus, even though you haven't seen him, you still love him. You still love him. But the love of God comes to us. This love that raised Jesus from the dead, this incredible divine love that is stronger than even death comes into your life and it overwhelms you and raises you out of your own dead self and into grace and you fall in love with Christ and then you start to believe, right? Is that how it works? Maybe. I'm always intrigued by those first disciples, those disciples that Jesus met on the seashore that he walks up to them, and they don't know anything at all about Jesus. Maybe they've gotten a snapshot of some of his teachings for a few minutes, but they don't know what to believe. And he says, follow me. And they follow him. Totally a matter of the heart, trusting Jesus sort of blindly without thinking. They don't know the range of his teachings. They don't know what will happen to him. They don't know what will happen to them as a result of following. So they follow with the heart. And then their mind catches up years and years later. Verse 9 says, One believes with the heart and so is justified. One confesses with the mouth and so is saved. So I wonder which one it was for you. 
And I think it is different depending on people's personalities, depending on how they're sort of wired in their minds. Which one was it for you? Did you need to, to sort of lay out all the facts? Maybe you went through a confirmation class or a new member class and you had the tenets of Christianity laid out for you and it needed to make emotion, it needed to make intellectual sense for you, but then you said, yes, I believe, and then you started to love Christ and to love God more and more after that. So maybe you're like Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist who was actually really disappointed and angry that his wife, as an adult, converted to Christianity. So he put his investigative powers on, and he wanted to lay out for her all of the evidence and all of the reasons why she was wrong to have made that decision. And so he does. He puts it all out there. He lays out all the evidence, and then he ends up being convinced himself, intellectually, that the Bible tells the truth, and it is trustworthy, and that Jesus is who he says he is. And he came to discipleship first in his mind as a matter of belief, and then he learned how to love more and more after that. Maybe that's what it was for you. Maybe you're like Chris Goswami. Someone else uh, grew up in a very different culture. He grew up in India and then in Britain, and Christianity was the farthest thing from his mind. Had no introduction to it whatsoever in his own home and even where he grew up. And then he went to college, and he sort of made friends with and was befriended with uh, several Christians who were friends in college, and he discovered that Christians weren't nearly as bad as he had been taught, and they weren't nearly as cold or judgmental or intellectually stupid as they're so portrayed often in the media and on television and movies. And something moved in him. Something moved in him in, to start a relationship of a little bit of love. And he started what he calls a six-month prayer experiment where he prayed a short prayer to Christ every day for six months. And then that six months became 12, that 12 became 24. And he writes about how Christ came to him in a wilderness experience moment in his life as a young adult, and how he was just overwhelmed by grace and by love, and overwhelmed by the goodness of God's love in his life. In his mind, he could, he could understand intellectually sort of this idea that you, you reap what you sow, this kind of karma idea that you get paid back in this life according to how you act, how you treat other people. You receive what you earn. What you get is what you deserve. And that's the basic bottom line of a lot of people's beliefs all over the world. You get what you earn. And for Chris Goswami, he couldn't understand, he couldn't imagine the Christian concept of grace. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who believe, is about that you, you do not get what you deserve. Because of Christ, you receive grace and forgiveness. We receive mercy and love even though we deserve judgment. The gospel says this, that you can be filled with greed and hatred. You can do terrible things in your life. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, you can be renewed. You can have a life with God. Grace was this great stumbling block for Chris Goswami until he experienced it. Until God came and overwhelmed his life with love and his faith then 
blossomed. And there's so much that he just doesn't understand still. He writes this. He says, I don't understand grace even now. The cross is appallingly unfair. I suspect I'll never have it entirely figured out, at least in this lifetime. But I'm thankful that because of God's grace, I can love him. And I can commit my life to God, even as he and his grace lie outside my capacity to fathom. For him, it's about overwhelming love and then trying over the course of his whole life of discipleship to wrap his mind around the Christian concepts. So I wonder which one it was or is for you. Are you more of the mind and the intellect and you love studying the different history and the doctrines of the church and wrestling with those different elements of faith and Scripture? Or do you respond more with the heart? And do you respond with loving God and loving your neighbor and then trying to figure out these things as we go along? Well, the answer, of course, as you've probably figured out by now of this conundrum, is that it's both. It's both. It's both. Our faith is always a faith of the head and the heart. It's always of the mind. Some of the brightest, smartest people I've ever known of or known in my life have been Christians. And their intellect is just amazing. Some of the greatest scientific minds in our world are Christians. Some of the greatest minds love Christ with the mind and the heart. That there's not only an intellectual approach to faith, but of course, of course, there is an emotional response that we all have to the gospel that is absolutely essential for us to know that we are loved by God and then to love God and then to love others as we love ourselves. So in this Children's Sunday, I'm thinking a lot about this which comes first. Is it the mind? Is it the heart? I'm thinking about this because of our children and how our children develop through stages of faith. Do they believe in Jesus with their minds first as they are taught great lessons of Scripture in their Sunday school classes? Or do they follow with their hearts first through love? The answer is yes. Yes, of course, it's both. They know from their parents and their grandparents who pray with them, who bring them to church. They know from their Sunday school teachers. They'll know from Blair and from Christopher. They know from being in, here, in church in here from some of their earliest days and from watching you. And you are being watched. You are being watched by the children of this church, whether you realize it or not. You're being watched. They are seeing all of this and learning all of this. They are practicing Christianity and following Christ as they learn what to believe about God slowly but surely of the time of growing up in church. And while they're here growing up in church, learning about faith, they experience love. They experience love and they feel love from some of those same people and from you who watch them and who support them experience this non-judgmental friendship and they have fun. They have fun because church is meant to be fun, really fun. And they watch their parents have fun with their peers in fellowship groups and on meals and at Nakomi and at youth auctions and all these other times. And over time they grow up in the church and they experience love and learning and they grow up to be Christians in heart and in mind with love, emotion, and with intellect. And on this particular Children's Sunday, I am so grateful for the commitment that this church has 
for our children, the investment that we put into our children. And I say our children because they are our children. When you stand up at a baptism like you just did, I hope you stood up not just because everybody else around you is standing up. I hope you stood up because you take that particular vow to Darby seriously and to every other child who is baptized in here. I hope you take it so seriously because you become a spiritual father or mother, aunt or uncle. You become a spiritual grandmother or grandfather. You make this great promise to love, support, and teach the children of this church in the ways of Jesus Christ. This is not a casual promise. This is a life-changing and life-saving promise that you have just made. And I know you take it so seriously. So when you leave here this morning, will you forget what you just did for Darby? Will you remember her name? Will you pray for her? Will you love her? And these other children who were older but whose names are in the bulletin, will you, you forget them and go on about the rest of your life Or will you remember them and remember that vow and remember their names and love and support them through your presence, through saying yes to teaching in Sunday school or vacation Bible school that's coming up this summer, through giving of your support for special causes for ministry to children and youth? Will you commit to pray for them? Will you be mentors? Will you be examples? Yes, because you just stood up and made that promise and said yes. Through who you are and what you do, you will help them believe with their minds and with their hearts and with their intellect and with their love. Thanks be to God for the children of Germantown Presbyterian Church. Amen. The New Testament says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We now give our offerings in joy to support Christ's work through the church. May God bless these gifts and the hearts that give them.
this point in our service. Friends, we know you want to be able to give your offering before you leave today, and so we want to receive it. So we'll have plates out in the narthex where you can put your offering on your way out, but we'll just go ahead and move now to our Lenten doxology and then our prayer of dedication. Thank you. Dear God, thank you for all you have given us, and we are glad to give this offering to you, along with these gifts. We give, you, we give our hearts to you. We promise to serve you everywhere we go, and we dedicate ourselves to serve our neighbors in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My friends, as if this were the only time, this is the only place, we the only people, Jesus intends to meet us here at this table. For this is the table that Jesus has prepared for us. And we are the people in this place, in this moment, that are so blessed to receive the bread and the cup this morning here in this place. And so I'll remind you as we receive the bread that I ask you to hold it and then we will receive it all together in the same when the cup comes around. So I invite you to come, all who have much faith and those who struggle with your faith, those that have been here often and those that haven't been for a long, long time. You are welcome at this table. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you and praise you for being our creator, God. You have made this beautiful world and allowed us to live in it and enjoy it. We thank you for your great kindness to us. We are creatures and you call us by name. Today we pray for people who are hurting because they are sick. We pray that you will ease the suffering of those in our church family who are in the hospital. Give them grace to regain their health and to go home to their families and loved ones. We pray for our community as we ask your guidance and protection on all the people. Bless our schools and teachers. Bless our leaders as they make decisions. Bless the police and firefighters who protect us. Grant them safety as they do their hard jobs every day. We also pray for our church. Bless our church with guidance and wisdom. Help us to be the body of the Christ as we serve our community and our neighbors. 
Bless us of all ages as we learn about you each Sunday. Help us to grow and to worship with you, your, worship you with more and more people each week. Please unite us in mission and faith as we share communion together. Hear us, Lord, as we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared the Passover meal with his disciples. And during the meal, Jesus took bread, and he broke open the bread. He gave thanks to God for the bread, and he blessed it, and he said, This is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. It is sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Remember me when you drink from this cup. For my friends, every time that we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we are proclaiming our Lord and Savior saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God, and they are for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite the servers to come.
Let us pray. You are our God who cares, for, who cares for us each day, and you deliver us from illness, death, and sorrow. You provide us with exactly what we need. We thank you for being present with us in this sacrament of communion. Please increase our faith and love as we serve you and those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go with faith, go with hope, and go with love. Use your spiritual gifts to serve the world in Christ's name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his eyes upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.